uh, speak through me, Father God. I ask that by the Holy Spirit you would confirm the word with signs and wonders following. Father, I pray that you would speak spirit to spirit with every person who would hear this word. And I thank you and praise you, Father God, that deliverance comes in the name of Jesus. We give you praise. Amen. 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 Um, So, you all know I've been taking classes. Well, one of the classes that I took, we had to watch a video. And uh, it was this lady named uh, Brianne Brown. And she is a a PhD of psychology. And she she has a a master's in social work as well. And um, what that means is that she studies, like, things that go on in society. She looks and sees cultures, um, you know, things that are going on, things that are prevalent. Um, and then she, you know, makes social comments. She's an author. She's, uh, you know, good person. I don't think she's saved, but she's got a lot of wisdom. And uh, she um, actually was talking in this video that I had to watch about her theory on society, and she called it the scarcity culture. And it really um, struck a chord with me Uh, What she's described as the scarcity culture is the culture of today, a mindset that people have, and it's a mindset of not enough. And not just not enough uh, materially, but not enough personally, not enough in in themselves. A psychology that that thinks, a, a thought process that thinks, I'm never good enough. I'll never be enough. No matter how educated I am, I'm not gonna be enough. And uh, it's just a scarcity thing. It's a, it's a complete thing of lack. And as she was uh, sharing this, everybody in the audience, you know, they kept showing all these people in the audience and everybody's nodding their heads. You know, they could all totally agree with her. And I thought, wow, if only they knew. If only they knew that there's a God who's more than enough, who's willing to share everything with them. You know, the source of wisdom, the source of light, the source of revelation, light and darkness, everything. And, you know, that's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. But um, so I'm going to talk to you today about uh, things with fear. And this is kind of why I wanted to put this up here, because the, you know, these these are straight from Scripture. You are my shield. You are my strength. You are my portion, my deliverer, my shelter, my strong tower, my very present help in times of need. You know, a lot of times I think we forget just who God is and how great he is. And some of the things that he does for us, you know, we're, we're very aware of what he does for us materially. We're very aware of how he makes us secure in our, in our salvation. You know, we're going to heaven. Woohoo! Right? That's enough. But God is more than enough. God has so much for us. God has confidence. God has boldness. God has courage. God has conviction. God has resources. God has strength. All of that is available to us. All we have to do is tap into him. All we have to do is yield ourselves over to him. When we're confused and when we're lost and we don't know our way, God is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And he will always make a way of escape for us. And, you know, preaching to the choir. So many times we get lost, we get, we get along the path and we wonder what we're doing. And, and we begin to doubt and we begin to have insecurities and, and we begin to have fear. And we think, man, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's going on? I can't see what's going on. But that's why God says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. We can't be moved by the things that we see, but we're moved by the things that are unseen. We have to keep our eyes fixed and focused on the things which are above and not the things which are beneath. Because the things that are beneath change. They're temporal. They're subject to change. And we can't be moved by what we see, because when we're moved by what we see, we're moved by fear. We're moved by expectation of dread. And God is not a God of fear. God is a God of faith. God is a God of boldness. God is a God of courage. Whenever you read about the great men of faith and the great women of faith that are in the Bible, and you read the Old Testament, whenever the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, they didn't turn tail and run. They stood headlong in the face of the enemy and they watched God do miraculous things. When Moses stood before the, the children of, of Israel as they were being led out of the bondage of Egypt, he stood and, and he had this rod 
And he said, today, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he lifted the rod. And as the enemy came up behind them, the Lord stood rear guard behind them and protected them. And they went across a sea on dry land. That would be awesome. You know, so many times we're walking our path of life. And boy, this isn't even in the sermon. But so many times we're walking our path of life. And God is doing the miraculous. But it's in our rearview mirror. And he's telling us to keep our eyes fixed and focused ahead. And we think, man, why isn't God moving? Well, he is he's destroying the path of the enemy behind you. Every step that you take in faith as you're walking the path that God has set before you, he's straightening the crooked paths. He's making your way plain. He's shedding light upon your path. Psalms um, 119-105, you know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He's, he's lightening the path. He's making a way that we can see, a way that's plain and clear. But what's he doing behind us to the enemy? He's causing confusion. He's causing derision. He's causing the enemy's wheels to turn square. He's holding back the flood water so that we can walk through the path. But as soon as we're past that path and the enemy is closing in upon us, those flood waters come crashing down and destroy the enemy. That's what God's doing. And I think sometimes as we're walking through our day-to-day -day life, we're unaware that God is holding back the walls because we're, we're focused on what we're trying to do. But God's holding back those walls, all those things that are trying to crash in and surround us, all those things that are trying to throw us into a pit, all of those things he's holding back. And the very minute that we've passed that, as soon as we step from, from this step to that step, everything behind us is gone because he's, he's washed it out so the enemy cannot pursue us. Amen. It's amazing. That's all free. So if you uh, have your Bibles, if you open them up to uh, Matthew, we're going to start at Matthew chapter 6. And um, I'm just going to, I have a set number, but I'm not going to give you the number because I don't know how far we're going to get into it. But these are reasons not to fear. Okay. So um, we're going to start off at Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start off at verse 25. It says, therefore, I said, oh, wait, I wanted to give you the nugget. Boy, see what happens. All right, so I don't have a nugget, but I do have a thought, and um, this is kind of why I'm leaving this up on the board. Um, this is something that I learned that fascinated me and explained a lot, so I'm going to share it with you. Uh, the, the average person can hear spoken words at 100 to 150 words per minute, but the brain can process words at up to 600 words per minute. So what does that mean to us? Okay, so I've been told that I speak pretty fast, normally. And it's true. But it's because my brain is engaged. I'm, I'm like trying to speak as fast as my brain is going. So you're sitting out there and you're listening to me and I'm speaking at a pretty, pretty high cadence. And your brain is even faster than what I can speak. And you know why God made us that way? He didn't make us that way so that we could sit and think about lunch. He didn't make us that way so that we could sit and think about our shopping list or our tasks to do or anything else. He made us that way so that as we're hearing the word coming forth, we can also hear the spirit of God dropping direct revelation spirit to spirit into us. So as you sit here today and as I'm doing my best to speak forth the word of God to you and to share with you, keep your brain engaged. It's going way faster than I can speak. But the Spirit will drop tons of stuff into you, far beyond the revelation that I have, into, directly into your spirit. And you'll hear things, you'll know things, by the Spirit of God. So that's my nugget. Okay? Kind of hard to write down as a little, you know, catchphrase. But still good information. Alright, so we're at Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 25. It says, Therefore... I say unto you, take no thought for your life, for what you shall eat or what you shall drink, yet for your body, uh, where you put it on, is not life more than meat, is not the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? For which of they by thought can add one cubit to his stature? And why do you take thought for raiment? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. But I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not also much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we be clothed? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So that's kind of a, a basis of where, where I want to um, go with this sermon. Um, there's so many things that, that the enemy wants you to be afraid of. There's so many ways that he wants you to get your eyes off of God. There's so many ways that he wants you to question the goodness of God. Is it for you? Has it gone by? Is it only for the days of old? Did, did miracles cease in the, in the time of the prophets? At, at the last days of the, the last disciple, you know, was that the end of, of the healing ministries? You know, they went through that even right after Jesus was born. The, the Nicolaitans didn't even believe that Jesus came bodily. And that's why John, when he uh, starts, First uh, John, he starts talking about, he says, that's which, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have beheld. He was physically there. I saw him. He's giving personal testimony and he's refuting the lies of the enemy that's trying to infiltrate the church. It's important that we know that, that Jesus is alive. It's important that we know that he's a real person. When we took communion last week, I was sitting here thinking, pastor was talking about the blood and he was talking about the body. And as I was sitting there and I was holding the cracker and I had my grape juice, I was looking at it and I was thinking, these are symbols for a living person. These are symbols of Jesus Christ, the man who came and, and left heaven, left everything, gave himself for me, became a man, became just like me, and yet gave his body. The blood that, that we are pleading is the blood of a physical human being who had so much love wrapped up in his body for not just the people that he could see, but for the people he couldn't see, for you and for me, that he gave his life. You know, the life is in the blood, according to Leviticus, and, and he gave his entire life. The, his body was stabbed. He, the blood was poured out. It was all over the cross. In Isaiah, it says that he was marred beyond disfiguration more than any other man. When you looked upon him after he had been whipped and beaten and scourged, as he was hanging on the cross, he didn't even look like a human being. He looked like hamburger. He was that disfigured. He was that marred. And yet, the love that did it, the love that compelled him to do that, is what drove him to the cross. It's what drove him to give himself for us. He was a physical man. It's just amazing. You're owned by him. He bought you with a price. He bought me with a price. It wasn't a cheap price. He didn't pay 99 cents for you. You're not some dollar store toy that he's just going to you know, bring home, play with for a couple minutes, and then throw away. You're not going to be broken. And if you are broken, he's not just going to throw you in the trash. He's going to fix you. He's going to repair you. He's going to make you brand new. He's going to make you better than brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that uh, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. The former things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. You're a new creature with new features. You have things about you that you don't, aren't even aware of. You're not just restored. I know pastors used this illustration before that, you know, when a person restores a car, it comes out better than it ever was before. Well, you're better than restored. You're completely recreated. Because when you do a restoration on a car, you're using an existing part. You're using an existing body. God made you brand new. You're wall-to-wall -wall Holy Spirit on the inside. You're the fullness and the completeness of God. Everything that Jesus was, you are. I am. And that's why when you speak the word of God, which we're going to get into that just a little bit, but that's why when you speak the word of God, you're not speaking it upon your own authority, but you're speaking it in the name of Jesus. And that's why things transpire. Amen? 
So here's a reason not to fear. Number one, God said, don't fear. <laughs> we could stop there, right? But I don't want you to, I'm, we're not going to read all these. I don't want you to try to keep up with these. I don't want you to even try to write them down. I just want you to listen to how many there are. Genesis 15, 1. Exodus 14, 13. Deuteronomy 1, 21. Deuteronomy 31, 6. Joshua 1, 8. Joshua 10, 25. 1 Samuel 2, 20 and uh, 22. 2 Kings 6, 16. 1 Corinthians our first chronicles, excuse me, 22:13, Isaiah 35:4, Isaiah 41:10, which go ahead and turn that to that one. Um, there's 11 more times just in the book of Isaiah. Matthew 1 and 20, Luke 1:30, Luke 2 and 10. I think he's trying to tell us something. We, we're only in Luke. And every single one of those says, "Fear not." Do not have fear. That doesn't even include where he doesn't say, where he says, don't worry. Take no thought. That's just strictly have no fear. Don't fear. So let's go ahead and, um, like I said, we're going to turn to um, Isaiah chapter 41. This is one of the very first scriptures that I ever learned. And I learned something new about it last night. So Isaiah 41, verse 10, it says, well, wait, I want to go up just a little bit. Do I? Yeah, we'll start at verse 8. It says, but thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Well, are you Abraham's seed? So then he's talking to us, right? Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from the chief of men thereof and said unto you, You are my servant, I have chosen you, and I have not cast you away. Fear thou not, for I am with you. Be thou not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you, yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. Behold, all that were incensed against you shall be ashamed, they shall be confounded, they shall be as nothing, and they, shall, they that strive with you shall perish. You will seek them, but you will not find them. Even them which contend with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing and a thing of naught. For I, the Lord, verse 13, thy God will hold your right hand, saying unto you, Fear not, I will help you. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So just there in that little segment, in that little passage, he told us twice. Fear not. I'm with you. I will uphold you. I will empower you. I will strengthen you. I will be with you. I will be holding your right hand, which when you, when you study the Bible, the right hand is the hand of authority and the hand of power. It's the hand of significance. In, in a lot of cultures, in a lot of cultures, they, they frown upon the left hand. The left hand is used for things that you're not supposed to use uh, for social settings. We'll just leave it at that. It's kind of gross. But if you're left-handed, sorry if I offend you, but the right-handed is predominantly the hand of strength in biblical uh, Readings, And that's why he says, I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to be holding your right hand. I'm going to be with you. Now, the reason I read all the way to uh, verse um, 19 here, is it 19? It says, or 14, I'm sorry. It says, uh, fear thou not, Jacob, you men of Israel, uh, you worm. Fear thou not, you worm, Jacob. It always bugged me. Because whenever you read um, the Bible and you read about Israel, it's never a degrading term. You ever notice that? It's always, you're my chosen. You're the chosen people. You're the ones that I've called and selected. But this is like one of the only places where I could find in the Bible where he ever says anything that seems degrading. And so I, I looked that up because I wanted to see it, and this is what I learned last night. Um, when he says that, you're, that they're a worm, the worm Jacob, what he's saying is he's not... He's not just calling him just this little animal. He's saying it because the worm uh, feeds on the cedars. It feeds on the oak trees. 
So a worm doesn't have sharp teeth, and yet it's able to bring down big giants. It's able to bring down great big huge trees because it just eats away at the roots. Even though it doesn't have sharp teeth, it's still able to accomplish that which it has, or that which it's tasked to do. And so if you read this and you, and you actually you know, get into the Hebrew and you start to read it, um, let's see if I can find it. I think it's, yeah. I have a couple Bible programs up here, so let's, let's figure that one out. In uh, verse 14, it says, You worm, Jacob, um, I will help you, O Lord, uh, my Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And then in verse 15, he says, I will make uh, a new sharp threshing instrument. And when he's talking about the word threshing, it's the Hebrew word um, morag, which is M-O-W-R-A-G. And uh, it's an un unused root word meaning triturate, T-R-I-T-U-R-A-T-E. And when you look it up in the Strong's or the Greek, it, it says that uh, it's a threshing sledge, a threshing instrument. So I went to a couple other sources to see kind of what that meant, because I don't know what a triturate is. Has anybody ever heard that word? It means a spoken word. And so what God was showing me is that, you know, he's calling him a worm, but what he's really saying is, you're going to conquer and you're going to overcome the enemy with what you have, which is your, your mouth. It doesn't have to be sharp because he's going to give us a, a new sharp instrument for threshing. And that way of threshing, that way of harvesting, that way of bringing in the harvest is going to be by your mouth. It's going to be by the words that you speak. It's going to be by your confession. And even more so, it's going to be by your prayers. So in the time where, where there's great fear and, and you're needing help, he's saying, yes, I'm going to come alongside you. I'm going to hold your hand. But he doesn't ever say, I'm going to do this for you. He doesn't ever say, I'm going to make everything happen. We have to make it happen. And the way that we make it happen, just like the way that they made it happen in Isaiah, was we have to speak forth the word. We have to bring forth the word. It's our job to speak it. It's his job to make it happen. And that's a really, really important thing that God's really been drilling into to me lately is the responsibility of the word is his. The responsibility of speaking the word is mine. The responsibility of sharing the gospel with someone, planting a seed, is mine. The responsibility to cause that seed to grow into fruition and harvest is his. I think sometimes we get discouraged when we keep on sharing the word with people and we keep on saying, you know, oh, the Lord is good and, and we keep on giving our testimony and we don't see anything happening. Am I the only one who ever gets discouraged by that? Sometimes, you know, the, one of the reasons that I went to start going to school was so that I could meet new people and share things. I like you guys, but, you know, you've heard most of what I know. You learned it from the same places. So you go out and you venture out and you find new, new places to meet new people. And, and you decide to share and you open up and you just think, man, when I share this, it's just going to be that revelation light. And it's just going to be like awesome. They're going to be, wow, this is great. And it's going to impact and change them the same way it did me. And they just go, oh, that's cool. Neat. Oh, I don't believe that. And you're like, what? And it really bothers you. And it, well, at least it bothered me for years. And then God just really, really started hammering into me that the responsibility for the seed to be sown is mine, but the responsibility to bring that to a harvest is his. He's the only one who can bring salvation. He's the author of salvation. He wrote the book on it. Amen. So there's a whole bunch of reasons there where he said not to fear. Um, number two, the number two reason is God is uh, not, fear is not from God. And if you will turn to Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, I will read it to you from the Amplified Bible. It says, For the spirit which you have now received is not the spirit of slavery to put you once more into bondage to fear, but it is the spirit of adoption 
the Spirit producing sonship in the bliss of which we cry, Abba, Father. So fear will make you a slave. God wants to make you a son. I'm in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, God did not give you a spirit of fear, or in the Amplified it says, of timidity, of cowardice, of craven, and of cringing and fawning fear, but he's given you a spirit of power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind, a discipline and self-control. He doesn't, he doesn't want us afraid of what's to come. You know how God wants us to be? Expectant. Excited. What is the future? What is going to happen? And, you know, there's, there's only one person who's been in all three realms. And by all three realms, I mean not only spirit, soul, and body, but I mean pre past, present, and future. We've all been in the past. We know what's there. We, a lot of times we end up looking back there. We're either longing for the good old days or we're, we're talking about how bad it was. But we spend a lot of time in the past. Oh, remember the, the great things that happened in 1985. Wow. Remember? Okay, let's put it in a, in a spiritual perspective. Remember when we went to St. Louis and the outpouring was there and we carried Laurel out of the restaurant and she's sliding under the table. And remember how people were on the street and they were saying, it's the Holy Ghost. Yeah, those things happened and it was great. But you know what? That's the past. That is gone. We can't get back there to that moment ever again. It was great for that moment. It was awesome and fun to be in that moment. But it's gone. It's the past. Right now, we're living in the present. Right now, we're also in the present. Here we are. We're in the present. Oh, now it's the past. Oh, now it's the present. Here we are. We're still here. But the, the thing that we're afraid of, the thing that we, we really don't know what's coming is the future. We can plan for it. We can prepare for it. We can think that we know, but we really don't know. But you know, there's one person who does know, and that's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's been in the future. He's been in the past. He knows our past. He's, he's right here with us right now. But he's also been there in the future. He knows what's coming. And that's why when we follow him, we don't have to fear the future because he knows the path. He knows the quickest way to get to what we want to get to. He knows the things that are in our future. He knows the goals that we have. He knows the dreams, the ambitions. He says, I know the plans and the purposes that I have for you, says the Lord, right? In Jeremiah 29, plans of good and not evil. Well, why is there not evil in my, in my future? Because I'm walking with God. Because I'm walking with God. As we walk with God, we don't have to experience all the negativity. We don't have to experience the failures. If he'll just guide us. You know, in, a Ro in a Romans chapter 8, it says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And I've talked about this before. The word led is, a, is the Greek word go. And it means to take them by the hand and lead them just as a person would lead an animal by a halter, by a bit, walking them around, walking them around. Well, that's what God wants to do. He's our tour guide through life. And our life is but a vapor, and all of eternity is before us, and he's been there. If you uh, read about Jesus, Revelations chapter 1, verse 8, and Revelations chapter 22, it says, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. He was there in the beginning. He's there in the end. And everything that's in between, he's still there. He's always there. We can have confidence that God will lead us in the, in the right way. We don't have to be afraid. Um, fear is a feeling. And like I alluded to before, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says that we walk by faith and not by sight. Fear is created by sight. Fear is created by leaning too much upon the things that we see and not leaning, not trusting enough in, in God. When we walk by sight, we're saying, God, I, I'm not confident that you're going to lead me the way that I need to be led, so I need to see where I'm going. It's kind of scary, but it's kind of true. Can you imagine uh, 
having somebody, you know, you're going to walk through, let's say, a minefield. Just close your eyes and picture a big old minefield. And if you take one wrong step, you're going to blow up. And as you're about to walk into this minefield, somebody runs up to you and says, oh, no, you can't walk through this with your eyes. You have to close your eyes, and I'm going to lead you. And this is somebody that you really don't know. How much confidence are you going to have that you're going to get through this thing alive? Not very much. Now, if somebody that you know came running up to you and said, hey, I'm going to lead you through this minefield, and the only way that you can get through it is to close your eyes, but I've already been through it, and I know how to do this, so take my hand and let's go through it. Would you feel a little bit more comfortable? Especially, you know, for those of us who are married, if your spouse was to run up to you and say, I'm going to lead you through this because you know what? We're intimate with them. We know that they have our back no matter what. Well, nobody has your back more than God. Nobody has your back more than the Lord Jesus. And when he says in Isaiah, I'm going to take you by the hand and I will uphold you by the right hand of my righteousness. That's what he's telling you. You're going to walk through this place and there's pits and there's traps and there's, there's places that the enemy has set up that are snares. And you're not going to fall into any of them because I know where they're at and I'm going to lead you there. I'm going to get you through this. Amen. So fear, fear is a feeling. And if we're walking by sight, chances are we're afraid of something that's ahead. Okay. Uh, number three, uh, and we know this one pretty well, uh, but the thing that you fear will come upon you. And we all know Job, right? So we don't need to turn to Job. But old Job, the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and the thing which I'm afraid of befalls me. In Job 3.25. Um, but I want to go to uh, Psalms 55. And in Psalms 55, uh, we're going to start at... Uh, let's start at verse 2. It says, attend to me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and I make a noise. Um, verse 3, because of the voice of my enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. That doesn't sound like a very good place to be. If you read it from the Amplified in verse 3, it says, I'm distracted at the noise of the enemy. So I want you to picture that you're standing in front of that minefield, and you're about to be led into the minefield. Now I want to, you to picture that there's a great big huge trumpet over here and a great big huge, you know, boombox stereo <laughs> over here. And, and then you got somebody else shouting out false directions at you from the front and from the back. And on your shoulder is a bug, and in your face is a, is a fly, and there's a mosquito biting your arm, and you got poison oak on your leg, and it itches. That is distraction. That is life. Those are all the things that happen. You know, when you're trying to focus, and I can remember when the, the kids were little, and you're trying to focus, and, and you're trying to, to hear from God, and, you know, that's always when something happens. We have our dog now. If he eats too fast, he throws up. If he drinks too much water, he throws up. If you're in a hurry and you're about to walk out the door, guess what he does? He throws up. That is a distraction. So many times when I'm trying to study, there's noise coming. You know, it's just noise. When it rains, it's such a nice thing. Except when there's a water pot that's outside of my window that all the rain is draining into, and then it's draining, and then you're thinking, man, I need to go move that water pot so that it quits making noise. And then you go out in the rain and you push it, and it quits making noise, but not really, because now the rain's just hitting the cement that's underneath it, and it's making even more noise. And then you're hearing all the rain, and you're thinking, I think I need to go to the bathroom. Those are distractions, and it's hard to get settled, and it's hard to get fixed, and it's hard to keep your mind focused. And when we need to hear from God and we're looking for direction for the day-to-day, -day, it's hard because there's so many distractions that are out there. There's so many voices that are out there. They're all vying for your attention. But then there's the one still small, 
quiet voice of God. Don't you wish sometimes God was a trumpet blasting in your ear? That he would just drown everything else out? Sometimes he is. That's usually when he's mad. <laughs> right? What are you doing? <laughs> now, I'm sure he doesn't ever tell you that. But he tells me that. What are you doing? I told you go this way and you went that way. Well, I'm sorry, I got distracted. It's really easy when you're driving to, to get distracted. And sometimes you're not even distracted. You're just mindless, right? So I'm going to my mom's. And the way that I go to my mom's, I leave, leave my house. And then I come down Skyway and, and I come along. And um, I go there every Saturday. So it's a mindless routine, right? So you come up to McCoy and then you turn. And then you go into the little trailer park. So one day I was coming down here. Same exact path, except instead of turning at McCoy, you go straight. Go all the way. I'd already been to my mom's that day. Go all the way in, in, pull into the trailer park, pull into my mom's spot, shut the car off, open the door, start walking up the steps, and I go, wait a minute, I was going to the church. <laughs> well, now she's heard me on the porch, so she thinks, who's the stranger on my porch? So I got to go in and tell her, hey, mom, it's just me. Well, you don't leave my mom's within two hours. So my quick run to the church turns into, you know, a couple hours because even though I just visited with her, I got to visit with her again. Distractions. They cost us. They cost us time. You know, in that case, it's not a bad price to pay because I get to spend time with my mom and she enjoys it. But how many other times have we been distracted and we just lose our way and we end up doing something that we really weren't intending to do at all? Right? I'll leave that one because I know you guys know that one. All right, so number four. This is a good one. There's no God as big as our God. He alone is God. Right? In Isaiah chapter 43, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says... Uh, for you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know me, believe me, and remain steadfast to me, and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither after me shall there ever be. For I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Don't ever forget that the God that you serve is the one true living God. There are so many people out there that are just so blinded by the enemy that don't know God. They think they're serving God, but the God that they're serving is not God. When you walk outside today and you look up and you look up in the sky, you're going to see the heavens. You're going to see the majesty and the beauty that God has created for you to enjoy. Whether it's a cloudy day I always think of Joan when it was a cloudy day. She liked the cold and she liked the rain. Some of you don't know Joan, but Joan used to come when, when we were first here and she was from Pittsburgh. And man, she just loved when it rained, when it was cloudy, when it was cold. That was her thing. I didn't like that. I like the sunshine. I'm solar charged. <laughs> but you know what? God makes all things for us to enjoy. When you go out into the city, some of you really enjoy going to the city and all the things that are there, and some of us don't. But you know what? God put that in you so that you can enjoy it. And you know what? For me, he made wide open spaces and big, tall redwood trees and lakes and... Yeah. But you know what? He's in all of it. He's, he's everywhere, and he, and he is everything. And besides him, there is no other God. There's no other name under heaven that is given whereby a man can be saved. Like I said earlier, he's the author of salvation. He's the one true God. You know, in the Old Testament, they would carve up stones. And they would put these st stones there. And they were called Ashtaroth poles. And uh, they would carve up trees. And they'd have rocks. And they worshipped everything. The Druids would worship nature and and just they were worshiping everything, anything that they thought, you know, oh, man, this is, this is it. You know, I have made me a god, Aaron with his golden calf. 
The people got distracted. They turned away from God and they said, well, what do we got? We got these gold earrings. Throw them in the fire and see what happens. And Aaron sculpts up a calf. Oh, yeah, it looks just like the one that was in Egypt. Oh, this is your God who has delivered you. And so they start bowing down and praying to what was just once on their ears. It was the sign of their captivity. And they're bowing down and praying to it. And they're serving, worshiping a false god of their own creation. But we don't have to do that. Because we know the one true God. We, we know him. Amen. Isaiah 44, um, verse 9. And this is from the message. It says, all those who make up no good or no God idols don't amount to anything. They, what they work so hard at making is nothing. Their little puppet gods see nothing and they know nothing. They're a total embarrassment. I like that. <laughs> it really, that. This always really stands out to me because long, long time ago when I was working at Denmat, back when, when Terry was there and, and Tina was there and I first met Christine, I worked, I worked with this uh, really nice little, little girl. She's a nice lady. Um, her name was Ruby Lou. She was such a great person. She was a Buddhist, though. Her husband was a Buddhist. And, you know, I was on fire for God, man. <laughs> we'd have Michael, Michael W. Smith playing and shipping, and we'd be just singing along, and just we were having a good old time. And uh, she really enjoyed it, and she would take, and take those uh, cassettes back in those days, she would take those cassettes and she would take them home and she would listen to them in her headphones secretly so her husband wouldn't catch her. And then one day she told me, she said, I know Buddha's not God. I know it. We have this little ivory Buddha and my husband wants me to pray to it, but I know he's not God. I know that the God that you serve is God. And I got to lead her to the Lord. She knew that that little idol meant nothing. She knew that that little idol wasn't going to talk to her in her deepest moments, in her darkest times. She knew that thing had no power. But she knew that the God that I served, not because I am anything great, but the God that I served spoke to me. But the God that I served, he blessed me. But the God that I served was ministering to me. The God that I served, I was excited about serving. Because we had a relationship. She couldn't have a relationship with that little piece of ivory. She, she brought in this, this jade thing one day and she was showing it to me. And, and I was like, that's really pretty. And she says, this is Buddhist something or other. And I looked at it and I said, well, it's still pretty. And, and she says, yeah, but it like is, has something to do with, with her worship. And I was like, well, it's a pretty rock, but that's all it is. It's just a rock. You know, I don't mean to offend you, but it's just a rock. And she goes, you know, I never really thought of it like that. It is just a rock. <laughs> Those things have no power. They can't speak. But God does. Amen. And we don't have to be afraid because he's going to tell us the things that are to come. Uh, Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Alas, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. There is nothing that is too hard or too wonderful for you. A really good scripture that I really like is 1 John 4, 4. It says, Little children, you are of God, and you have already defeated and overcome the agents of the enemy, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen. See, we don't have to fear because God's on our side. He's called us, he's chosen us, and he's made us of him. Amen. That word of is a primary preposition and it, de it denotes origin. So you may have been born naturally of your parents, of your mom and of your dad, but you were born by the will of God. You were put in, in this time and in this hour according to the plan of God. You could have been born in the caveman days. You could have been born in the days where they live on Mars. Who knows what's going to happen in the future. But right now is when you were called. Right now is the place where you were called to. And God has brought you to this moment in your life for his plan and for his purpose. The life that you live may seem insignificant. It may seem like I'm doing a job and I'm doing 
my thing, but you're impacting people who are around you. The social circles that are around you are continuing to grow. And the thing that's, that's really interesting is the ripple effect that takes place. I don't know that many people. I really don't. I work with five or six people at work. I come here, you know, so my social circle is pretty small. And then I go to school and I really don't know those people very well. They're very much just acquaintances at best. They're not friends. We don't hang out. We don't see each other unless it's class. And most of the classes that I take are online. So I really don't see them at all, ever. <laughs> but I get to speak to them. And sometimes you'll say something and sometimes they'll say something and it'll stick with me. And I'll think about that thing and it'll just reverberate in me. And especially if it's something that just like jumps out at me and then God expounds upon it and all of a sudden you got revelation knowledge and all of a sudden you're like, wow, why didn't I know that? I did know that. Why didn't I know that before? Wow. And it's, it's something simple. But that word spoken to you and then guess who comes up here and stands in front of the, the church and speaks it to all of you? And guess what happens? Monday morning, you guys go to work and you go into your social circles and all of a sudden you're talking about, you know, we don't have to fear anything. There's nothing to fear. God is on our side. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And all of a sudden, these things that you've known all along that have just come alive in you again because the Holy Spirit is ministering these things to you, all of a sudden, as you begin to speak them out to to Let's say I'm just talking to Laurel. Let's say Laurel and I work together. She all of a sudden got a job at VRS. Woohoo! Lucky you. You're making rubber stamps. And I'm telling Laurel, man, can you believe what happened at church yesterday? Oh, that was so great. And Terry, she just happens to be a vendor walking through the building. And she comes in and she hears that and she goes, wow, that is pretty good. And then she goes to her site and she says, wow, I'm going to call Arlene. Hey, Arlene, did you know that a God is for us who can be against us? Wow. And then Arlene says, well, I'm going to tell Mary that. And Mary tells, does that. And then Mary goes and all of her friends are telling, talking about it. And pretty soon the whole world is impacted. That's how the world gets changed. It isn't that somebody's going to be standing up here at this pulpit or any pulpit. And they're going to say one thing and everybody in the entire world is going to hear it. It's spread through word of mouth. That's, that's the beauty of God. He can do the things far above what we could ask or think. The plans and the purposes that we have, even as great as we think that we might know how things go, far above. Far above. And the life that you live isn't insignificant. And the conversations that you have with the people who, you, who are in your social circles are not insignificant. Somebody had to, had to minister to the great minds or to, to the, the great prophets, preachers, and teachers of today, somebody had to share with them the gospel for the very first time. Rodney Howard Brown had to hear about it from somebody. Who do you think he heard about it from? You know, probably his mom, probably his family. Who did she, who'd she hear it from? Because going back, Jesus goes back 2,000 years. If people quit talking about him, he wouldn't really have any relevance today. So maybe the words that you speak have relevance, and they come forward and they're able to bring forth healing and deliverance somewhere down the line to somebody else. And that's why uh, in 1 Corinthians, when they were having their big old dispute over who was the better, better pastor of the church, because Paul founded the church and Apollos came in and he was all polished and dignified and he had these great speaking patterns and he was the new appointed pastor. And some really liked Paul because he was fire and brimstone and some really liked Apollos because he was classy. And Paul says, what does it matter? All that really matters is that the word is preached. It doesn't matter. Maybe the words that we speak go forward and, and they, they bring forth healing. They bring forth restoration to somebody. The important thing is that the word goes out. Right? Amen. And people can be free from fear. Amen. Amen. So that leads into number five, which is probably where we're going to stop. Um, number five says, God is for me. God is with me and God is on my side. You don't ever walk into battle alone. You don't ever walk through a day of your life alone. You know, so many times we feel like we're alone. We feel like we're lonely. 
We're sitting in our room or sitting at our house. We're sitting watching our TV or walking around through our job, whatever. You're never, ever alone. The Spirit of God goes with you everywhere, always. And all that it takes to bring that presence in, into your life at any moment is, hey, God, that's it. Hey, God, what do you think about this? You know what? He's never going to tell you, I'm um, sorry, I'm over talking to Arlene right now. I don't have time for you. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm solving third world uh, hunger in Mexico right now. Really don't have time for your problem. It's not God. He's everywhere at all times. He's ready, willing, and able to help you. He wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. Always. Even the small little insignificant things like, oh, God, why won't my car start? Well, it won't start because you didn't put gas in it, Dan. Hmm. Revelatory. I guess that wouldn't be a small insignificant thing if you got to go to work, right? But no matter what your problem is, no matter how small you think it is. The other day I banged my finger at work. I banged this finger and I hit it pretty hard. I hit it hard enough to break it open. And it hurt. But I felt like a fool because I did it. And I was like, man, that hurt. And I looked around and there's nobody in the shop. Everybody's at a trade show except for the kid who works part-time for me, Matt. And he went home at noon, and this is like 3 o'clock, and I'm completely alone in my whole section of the building, and I'm looking at this thing going, that really hurt. And then I thought, I wish I had somebody I could say, that hurts. <laughs> right? It's the little kid in me. And I felt bad. I, don't, I can't even begin to tell you what it was. I just really felt bad. And I, I had like a little tear come to the corner of my eye because it really hurt. <laughs> and, and I felt bad. I almost wanted to call Christine because I just felt bad. How dumb. But you know what? At that moment, I really needed somebody to be there. And there was nobody there. And I was like, well, this sucks. And then God said, I'm sorry that happened. And I kind of looked up and I was like, who's that? <laughs> and then it dawned on me, I'm not alone. I'm standing here in this building and I've been in this building for all week and all this pressure has been on me about having to answer the phones and having to deal with all the customers that call that call about things that I don't know anything about, but I'm here and I'm the one who's got to answer the phone and I'm feeling so alone in that moment. And all I wanted was just anybody, anybody. I would have taken the UPS guy coming in and going, I hurt your finger, huh? <laughs> anybody. Even the FedEx guy that I'm not crazy about. Anybody. But how nice it was that somebody who cared about me, who knew how I was feeling inside, who knew the vulnerability that I was feeling at that moment that I couldn't even explain to anybody if I had to. Just tell me, hey, I'm really sorry that that happened. And I was like, wow, God really does love me. He really does care about me. He probably really is counting all these hairs that are falling out of my head. <laughs> Holy cow. It makes you feel kind of special. It makes you feel like you're kind of like God's favorite. I am. You are too. You know, I, old joke, but in the Old Testament, you have the, the Ishmaelites and the Hittites and the Amorites, and I'm his favorite, right? Why am I his favorite? Because he, he invested all of his favor upon me. I'm a, I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I'm a peculiar person who's called by God. You thought I was just saying I was his favorite. I am. So are you. He loves us that much. We don't ever have to fear being alone because God is for us. God is on our side. Psalms um, 1 
18, verses 6 through 9. It says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side, and he takes my part. He is among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire established upon those who hate me. It is better to take refuge, refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to, take, than to put confidence in princes. In the New Testament, it says it this way. In Romans 8.31, it says, What shall we say to all this? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Who can be our foe if God is on our side? You're an unstoppable, immovable force when God is on your side. There is nothing but victory in your future when God is on your side because God does not lose. God does not fail. And you are his and he is yours. And you're in covenant with him. And that means that everything that's his is yours and everything that's yours is his. And that means that when he speaks to you and calls you to do something, you do it because you love him and because you're in covenant with him. And when you need something, you've got a boo-boo that you need attention. He does it because he loves you. Even before you ask, he's already on the way. Because he's already there with you. Amen. Amen. So I'll just give you highlights from the rest of this. Um, The next one is God is the righteous judge of the earth. And to be a righteous judge, you have to be morally right and justifiable. Your actions have to be um, virtuous and excellent. And uh, they have to be in accordance with divine law. So everything that God does and he does on your behalf, he's doing in accordance with divine law, which says that you are highly favored, which says that you are above and not beneath, which says that you are the head and not the tail, which says that you are more than just a little worm, which says that you are important in the kingdom of God. Amen. Um, Romans 5.1, it says... uh, We are justified, acquitted, and declared righteous, um, giving a standing with God through faith so that we may grasp uh, the peace and the reconciliation and hold it to enjoy the peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we talked about the, the price that he paid for that peace. There is no distraction that is is worth more or is more worthy of our attention than the price that God paid for us. Let's see. Uh, The next one is we have angels. In um, 2 Chronicles, and it was chapter 32, verse 21. um, The Lord sent forth the angel of the Lord, and he destroyed all the enemies of the people of God. And in Psalms 34, verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, who revere and worship him with awe, and each one of them he delivers. Boy, that's good news. Hebrews 1 and 4 says that, or 1 and 14 says that all the angels are ministering spirits sent out of, into the service um, of God for the assistance of those who inherit salvation. The ninth one is that we have authority in Jesus' name. And if you are writing these down, you could write down Matthew 10, 1 and Luke 4 and 6. And then I'm going to read to you Luke 10, 19 from the Amplified. It says, Behold, I've given you authority and power to trample upon serpents and scorpions and physical and mental strength and ability over all the power that the enemy possesses and nothing, 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 nothing. No thing shall in any way harm you. It doesn't matter what the plan of the enemy is. God thwarts his purpose every time. Because there's nothing that the enemy can do, either in the mental realm or in the physical realm, that will ever have power over you unless we give it to him. Because God is God. Ephesians um, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says... uh, 
talking about the power that, of Christ. It says, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And this is where we're seated with Christ. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named and every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but in the age and the world which is to come. That's where we're seated, far above, far above. If this was a hierarchy, we'd be the top of the pyramid. Why are we the top of the pyramid? Because we're seated with Jesus. Let me just ask you this. Let's say I wanted to beat you up, right? We're little kids, and we had a skirmish on the playground, and I decided I'm going to beat you up. And you go, and you go running to your dad. And your dad is some six-foot-four weightlifting behemoth, and I'm little scrawny Dan Taylor, Two foot nothing and 55 pounds and one muscle, one little teeny tiny muscle. Am I going to go take him on? Am I going to go take you on? Even though I might be able to beat you on the playground, but if you got backup like that, you ain't going there. Well, let me just tell you, you may think that you're some scrawny little two foot something nothing, but the minute that the enemy is threatening you, we go in our, and we hide ourselves in the secret place of the Most High. Where is the secret place of the Most High? It's in the throne room of God. It's seated at the right hand of the Father. We get right between Jesus and the Father, sitting on their thrones, sitting enthroned forever, ruling as kings and, and king of kings and lord of lords, king over all, all authority, all dominion the host of heaven all around them, worshiping them and praising them. And we get right between them and then we just sit there and we just look. Because there is no way that the enemy is ever going to come in and threaten you in the presence of God like that. And let me just tell you, the quickest way to get into the throne room of heaven and get that kind of protection is just mention the name of Jesus. The minute that we invoke the name of Jesus, all the authority and all the power that is in heaven guards, protects, and surrounds us. The angel of the Lord encamps around us who fear him. Right? We don't ever have to be afraid of, of anything that the enemy has to say. And that leads right into the last one, which is God is with us. We don't have to be afraid because he's always with us. He resides within us. We are the temple of the Most High God. His presence is permanently indwelling us. You know, and I want you to think about this. This will be the final thing. But in Psalms, it says that the earth is his footstool and the heavens can't contain God. But yet this body can contain his fullness. He chose to live within us. But the majesty and the grandeur of God and all of the power of God the heavens can't even contain. Scientists tell us that the heavens are still expanding. It's because God spoke the heavens. He, he spoke and the heavens and earth were created. And that word is still reverberating through. And it's just expanding. It's just continuing to grow. It's never, ever going to stop. It's going to continue to go on and on and on and on and on. And that's a testament to the power of God. And that power of God is the same power that is in us. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in us and it quickens and makes alive our mortal bodies. Our mortal bodies, which are the temple of the Holy Ghost. The enemy has no right to, to even speak to you. You're so far above him. I'm so far above him. We don't have to listen to him. We certainly don't need to let him confuse us. We certainly don't need to let him dictate anything to us. Our future is in God's hands. We belong to him. And so there doesn't have to be any fear because he is our shield. He is our strength. He is our portion. He is our deliverer. He is our shelter. He is our strong tower. And he is very present. Amen? Amen. So that's what I got. Amen. Does anybody need prayer today? Okay, well then to close, we're going to have our ushers come forward and we're going to receive tithes and offerings today. I thank you guys for...
listening to me and hopefully you guys got something out of this and as you go forward into your worlds you'll have something to share amen father we thank you and praise you you are a good god we thank you that every good and every perfect gift comes down from you, the Father of, of lights, Father God, in, in whom there's no variableness, in whom there's no shadow of turning. You are a blessing God, you are a giving God, and you are a good God, and you will never change. We thank you, Father God, that we will suffer no lack. Father, we thank you that we have no fear of anything that is to come. We are emboldened and we are encouraged by you, Father. And I thank you and praise you, Father, that as we sow these seeds into this uh, tithes and offerings, Father God, I thank you that you bless every giver, Father God. I thank you that you abundantly cause them to prosper, Father God. And I thank you that every seed that they plant comes forward because you're the Lord of the harvest. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a new calendar on the back. On your way out, make sure you grab one, um, pick it up. Um, highlight of the month is um, there's a couple's dinner on uh, the 12th, Sunday the 12th. Um, we have our offerings, you know, our normal offerings on Sunday. Um, Saturday the 11th, there will be soul winning from 10 to 12. And your scripture of the month says, For I will restore um, health to you, and I will heal your wounds, says the Lord. So if you have any wounds at all, this is your month. This is your day. This is your moment. He's going to make you whole. Amen. So let's all stand. Continue to um, pray for pastors. They got a bug. It needs to be. Right? All right. Father, we just thank you. Praise you for this service, Father God. I thank you for the word that's gone forward, Father God. I thank you that the Holy Spirit confirms the word with signs and wonders following. God, I just ask that you would go with your people, that you would. Uh, Bless them, cause them to be blessings everywhere that they go, Father God. And Father, we just thank you and praise you that you keep us all safe until we return again in the name of Jesus. Amen.